Hey, everyone. This is Chris Ryan from The Ringer. As many of you have heard by now, we lost a treasured colleague and friend over the weekend. Jonathan Charks passed away on Saturday. John was 34. He leaves behind a wife and a son, and we are obviously mourning his loss and sending all of our love to his family right now. If you go to theringer.com slash Jonathan Charks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S, you will find a memorial page for John which has links to his GoFundMe that benefits his family and the amazing writing he did throughout his experience. I encourage you to go there. And if you can, please support the Charks family. Briefly, I will just say that John was among the first people that we hired to work for The Ringer. So he was instrumental in defining the voice and perspective of the site. He has as much to do with what this place is as anyone else. And throughout his experience with cancer, John communicated eloquently about the challenges he was facing, both through his writing and his podcasting. You could never stop John from talking about his passions. It's one of the things I loved about him. Over the last few months, you know, whenever we would talk, whenever I would reach out to see how he was doing, I would try to keep it very John-focused. And the next thing I knew, we would be talking about James Harden or Better Call Saul. He really loved this stuff. Uh, he loved talking about it, celebrating it, debating it, illuminating it. We're going to keep putting out our pods and writing while we grieve but we wanted to let folks know that John was in our hearts and that his family was in our thoughts. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Ringer NFL Show. Week one Sunday is in the books. I'm Nora Princiati, and I am here with Benjamin Solak. Hello, Howdy. Benjamin. How are you doing? Oh, didn't you just feel it when you're watching two 20 to 20 overtime games get underneath four minutes in the 1 p.m. slate? It's, mm, that's some football, baby. We are back in action. It's delicious. And Steven Ruiz is here. Steven, how did you enjoy this? This Football Sunday that we've waited so long for. I was a little overwhelmed. There was too much football going on. I feel like I didn't like come to and realize what I was watching until like 4.30. That's very, I, I think that's a very honest way of, of explaining how you processed week one. There's always just like a lot of, I think I'm more stimulated on football Sundays than like any other concentrated period of time in my life. And it's always a little bit jarring when you, when you get back into it. Ben, did you feel like you were soaking it all in and just like, buzzing in every facet of your brain well yeah but the thing is i watch football a little differently than the two you watch football because you guys are like i hope this game is good and i'm like i hope hayden hurst has more than two and a half catches and so <laughs> i get a series of smaller <laughs> ups and downs than you guys get that exist over the course of the game right like cordero patterson it's is over on rushing yards in the second quarter and i'm like bang i'm happy with the outcome of the falcons saints game independent of anything that happens next the saints come back and i'm like 
great for the Saints. I've already finished my business with this game. I'm chilling. So I have a I have a different tempo to my watching than the uh, than the normal the normies do. What you're saying is that Stephen and I watch football and and we're here on the first Sunday of the season going, oh my God, there's so many things going on at once. Ah, the Eagles look cool. Oh no, what's happening in Falcon Saints? Ah, it's so much to process. And you're watching going, ah, the financial future of my life. What will happen? Financial future. But yeah, basically the nuts and bolts of that, yes, is, is accurate. Well, I think most of us can agree that it's very good to have have football back. Uh, the exception to that might be the Dallas Cowboys, who I think we should talk about first because we just watched Sunday Night Football in which the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ever heard of him, beat the Dallas Cowboys 19-3. to Tom Brady was fine, I would say. We can talk about that later. 18-22 uh, for 212 yards, touchdown and a pick. The story of the game was that Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys offense uh, was completely held out of the end zone, looked absolutely abysmal. And within minutes of this game ending, uh, Dak Prescott left the game before it ended uh, with an apparent hand injury. And Jerry Jones, who is just finds himself as he does at the end of every Cowboys game in the midst of a scrum of reporters shares with all of us, the information that he is already sure that Dak will be out several weeks because he needs surgery for an injury in the joint above the thumb on his right hand. That's HIPAA. That's HIPAA. Dak is a big proponent of HIPAA. And you can't <laughs> you say can't. that. That's HIPAA. You can't. We, we set president here. We HIPAA in this building. Dak's it's a also HIPAA. HIPAA. It's we also HIPAA to read his stat line from tonight. That's HIPAA too. This actually, this entire podcast is a HIPAA violation. I love that Jerry's a long distance doctor now, right? Like the other thirty one teams, a guy's like knee bends ninety five thousand different ways, and three hours later, we get like initial reports are that Ben Solak has torn his ACL. However, a second opinion will be taken on Monday to see if he needs surgery. And Jerry's like, "Listen, I saw Dak jogging. It's very clear surgery is needed on his thumb." <laughs> Don't we still not know what happened to Ryan Jensen? That dude hurt his knee no in like July. I was there. It was a long time ago. There's Dave? still like, there's too much swelling. We're not really sure what happened. Jerry's just like, surgery, three weeks. It's done. David Bakhtiari's had like a mystery knee surgery for like a year. If he, if he was on the Cowboys, we would know, we would have x-rays of his knee and in, in MRIs. Do we think Jerry Jones has a future as like doc, like Dr. Oz or Phil or I don't, I, whichever one is more likely to make medical predictions that they shouldn't be making on television. Right. Maybe that's both. That feels like an Oz who's currently also running for something. Isn't he running for office? Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah, so he doesn't live. Shout out my boys in PA. Uh, who, who I believe is a Cowboys fan which I actually only know because the guy who's running against him likes to make fun of him for being a Cowboys fan. So maybe there's an opportunity for synergy here. I don't know. Full circle. Anyway, Jerry Jones, who I I, I suppose we are forced to believe is correct in his assessment that Dak is going to be out for several weeks after getting surgery on the thumb, uh, was tremendously disappointing. Uh, he said, real disappointed before Dak's injury and certainly disappointed after it was the Jerry Jones quote. Uh, Steven, what were you tremendously disappointed by in this game? The Cowboys skill players. Like, I, I think that's what the game comes down to. They just don't have the dudes anymore. I know Michael Gallup didn't play. Maybe he'll come back eventually and 
maybe he'll get to 100%. But if he doesn't, this is going to be ugly. I, this is like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, the Bucks defense is very good. And when Todd Bowles' is game plan is cooking, like, they're very hard to beat. But no one was open. The, the offensive line was bad. Dak was under duress all game long. They're, every throw seemed like a tight window throw that was contested. It was just rough to watch. It was one of the, on a Sunday with a lot of rough offensive performances, it was the roughest. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a snowball that rolls down the mountain there with the Cowboys skill possession that like the bottom of that mountain was this week one game where, okay, we're going to trade Amari Cooper because contract wise, we don't really know what we're doing here. So we're going to trade him for pennies too. We got to remember like the Amari Cooper trade was what well, they were going to cut him. And then they got a fifth instead of cutting him. It's like generally just uh, bumbled and fumbled from the jump. But it's all right. We have CeeDee Lamb and that's good. And Michael Gallup's coming back from injury, which last couple of weeks have been like, Gallup said to reporters, yeah, I'm not playing week one. And then over the course of the last seven days, the Cowboys been like, hey, Gallup's practicing. He might play week one. And it's like Michael, Michael said, Michael, the man, said he's not playing in this game like a week ago. So that was going on. They draft Jalen What did Jerry Tolbert. say? Yeah, so they draft Jalen Tolbert in the third round and wide receiver out of South Alabama. He's a healthy scratch for this game. No injury. So the third round pick a wide receiver who they knew they had the Gallup injury coming down the mountain. They signed James Washington free agency. He got hurt during camp. They didn't bring anybody else in the building because they were going to give Jalen Tolbert more reps. And this whole thing starts to snowball. We're like, all right, no Cooper, no Gallup, no Washington, no Tolbert. And all of a sudden you're starting Dennis Houston. And I don't know who Dennis Houston is. And it's not that like Ben Solak knowing a player should be the benchmark for whether or not they should be starting. But me not knowing who Dennis Houston is really freaked me out, man. I was worried about that. That was I found that concerning as a draft person who generally follows players and how they get selected. Uh, all of a sudden, you just get a ton of attention on C.D. Lamb, and you're in a bad spot skill position-wise. Same thing happened on the offensive line. We can't bring him back Leo Collins. He's got injury problems. We're going to elevate right. Terrence Steele. That gets rid of our swing tackle, so we have to draft Tyler Smith. And oh, no, we have another offseason injury. There's Tyron Smith, so... We'll just play Tyler Swift at left tackle. Connor McGovern goes down during the game. Well, now I have to play Matt Farniok, and all, there's just no protection. Like this, it's felt like a long, drawn out talent drain in Dallas over the course of the last like four or five months that culminated here in this game where there's just dudes on the field that are not supposed to be on the field in week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that's how you get a three point offensive output. And that, that talent drain, I think, was the story of the yes. Cowboys offseason. The thing that always couched that was that Dak was there. And I mean, I thought that was one of the worst games I've ever watched Dak Prescott participate in. I, I don't think, you know, health is a different story, but I don't think that if you play 17 games, even with lessened skill position talent, even with lessened talent on the offensive line, the additional injury of McGovern, I don't think Dak Prescott plays that poorly every single one of a 17 game season. I thought that was like pretty obviously the low end of what he does. But if we take this, which I think is the only thing that we can do as evidence that with this surrounding him, Dak is not as likely as maybe we felt coming into the season as he was to be able to elevate this group. Like Dak was what was supposed to be good about the Cowboys. Dak was supposed to be the thing where if you look at the the NFC East, it's like, ah, I mean, the Eagles really seem like they're rising. Maybe they can compete, but man, the Cowboys have Dak. Dak's such a good quarterback. He's such a smart quarterback. He's such a good processor. If that doesn't matter, like we need to start thinking of this group as 
just in terms of overall roster talent, like they're easily bottom half of the league, if mm-hmm. not more than that. And the the exception to that has always been the quarterback. And it just didn't look like whether it's because of the surroundings or because he just wasn't playing well, or we shouldn't forget that he also had a health issue that was sort of not well understood coming into the game where he said that he felt something pop in a foot earlier this week and nobody really ever identified it, but that didn't sound great. Like if for a bunch of different reasons, Dak is not the Dak that we expect him to be. This is a pretty bad team. I mean, Steven, does that sound like an overreaction to you? Uh, I want to wait like another week because I do think that the Bucks defense just played like they played their asses off tonight. Sure. And I don't I don't know if any de- uh, offense, especially the one that was shorthanded, was going to look good against that defense with the way they played. But I mean, if you're giving Dennis Houston five targets, you're giving Noah Brown nine targets like you're not you're not a good football team. You're just not a good football team. And last year, we considered this one of the stacked offenses in the league. And like you said, this is a bottom half in terms of talents, a bottom half offense right now. And I think it's going to take some time for Michael Gallup to even when he comes back, it's going to take him some time to get back to what Michael Gallup was. And I don't think that Michael Gallup was like, He's not some offensive savior. He's just a good role player, I think. Right. The thing with Gallup is that he's so good in these isolation routes, right? Back shoulder nine ball, over the top nine ball, deep comeback, you know, curl at the sticks, which if there's a complaint to be had with Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, which I think there is like over the course of good Cowboys games, mediocre Cowboys games, and now certainly this Cowboys game, it's that Kellen Moore really just like is very, 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 very confident in Dak's ability to throw with timing to throw against matchups, which is like, fine. You got to play your offense, your quarterback strengths. Once you're in the CeeDee Lamb, Noah Brown, Dennis Houston world, it's like, all right, it's time to create some offense somewhere else. Like a cool thing for the Cowboys this game would have been a screen. They had they tried to throw one to Zeke, but also it's like maybe throw one to CeeDee, right? Like they, they right. tried to do like a silly reverse play. Like he... Uh, more always has these like one-offs, right? These random like one single plays, like bursts of huge creativity. And then he goes back to being like, and we're just going to run like a bunch of stop routes. We're going to run right. like isolation nines and ask Dak to throw a back shoulder. Like there was a second and, and eight back shoulder throw to Dennis Houston, which was just like the timing and location was a little bit off. And it's like, oh, like Dak is usually so accurate. He's missing. Yeah, but also like that route just requires so much chemistry, so much detail that if you're asking your quarterback to throw it to undrafted free agent he hasn't played much with, you're making a mistake from the jump, even if that quarterback is Dak. Because the juice isn't worth the squeeze. The probability is so low that you're going to get this contested route against Carlton Davis open that has no chance for Yak anyway, that it's like, man, let's run a pick route. Like, let's run a rub route. Let's, like, do a little offensive pass interference and see if we can get away with it. Let's cheese this a little bit. And so I think that, you know, uh, Dak a little bit, Dak's strengths kind of, wrote this 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 script that ended up putting the cowboys into an even worse spot than they were it's like dak is so precise dak is such a good processor he'll be able to elevate with our receivers and it's like no no no. you actually kind of have to take the offense a little bit out of dak's hands like do some of the silly stuff do some of the stupid stuff like you don't have the receiver talent to get this finely tuned cog of a machine working and then this passing game flowing the way you need it to you got to do some stupid stuff in the edges. You got to do some stuff in the margins to get this done. The other thing that was really big for them is that last year they were so good at running outside zone. Last year they were so good at running zone. They had multiple offensive linemen they could get in. They could add dudes to the box and they had like Jarwin and Dalton Schultz and they 
Pollard and Zeke, and then they could get to their play-action game. They do not have that right now with, with the offensive line personnel, and so they weren't able to get the running game working into the play-action game. And so that takes away another, like, one of your most common cheeses is play-action, right? That's how we, like, get quarterbacks to just, like, have easy completions, easy buckets. They couldn't get to that game at all. And so Dak played a bad game. Dak was inaccurate. This was a very, very bad Dak game. There were buoys, lifesavers that could have been thrown to him in terms of like Kellen Moore that were not. That then they just were not. Prone. Yeah, they give you a piece of the blame pie to also give to Kellen Moore. It's hard to score only three points. Takes a village, and Moore deserves a piece of that blame pie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they just need to give Dak more help. Like you said, last year it worked because they had so much talent around him. They could put so much on his plate and ask him to be that distributor who that drop back passer. This year it's not going to work. You need some. You need to give him some help, like Solak saying. Are you going to personally apologize for your your ranking of Jack Prescott, Stephen? No, he will be dropping in the rankings. But no, <laughs> it was one game. It was one game, and he was bad in ways that we that Dak typically isn't bad. So I'm not really overreacting to that performance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's I'm I'm actually with you there. If we take the health thing out of it, I don't think that there's even with this collection of talent. I don't think that there's any way that this is like the baseline Dak Prescott game for the remainder of the season. I just think that what him having that kind of bad game and, and with what they were doing offensively and the way that that Kellen Moore was calling the game with all of that compounding it, I think it shines a real spotlight yeah. on what we've sort of tiptoed up to, to believing in the offseason, but was even more clear tonight, just that this roster is really devoid of a lot of talent. Uh, what about the Bucks? What did what did you see from Mr. Tom Brady this evening, Benjamin Solak? Uh, Brady is forty five years old, just slaying the pill around the yard a little bit, just hitting Julio Jones <laughs> downfield. Yeah, absolutely, just hitting nine routes, just living life. You know, yelling at his third string, second string left tackle for not blocking Michael Parsons correctly, just doing Tomo things. Uh, Tomo, the Buck, good old good old Tommy action. Uh, in terms of the Bucks offense, you didn't say well, Tomo. You said Tom. You didn't say Tommy. I you said, said Tomo at first, yes, and then then I said Tommy. And I'll say any iteration of Tom. I dang well please. It's just at this point, he's been in the league for long <laughs> enough. I'm just gonna find fun ways to say his name. Uh, the, the Pharaoh, most as thing, he's referred to in his Pro Football Reference yes, nickname the list. The most and interesting sir. thing I found about the Bucks offense was they're pulling a lot of dudes in the running game, uh, and this was something that I think they finished with that dial a little bit last year, but it seemed like it was a lot more of a mainstay of the offense. They were able to get to the edge with lead blockers for Leonard Fournette, which like the book on Leonard Fournette is a fascinating book and like top five pick and then knock it with the Jaguars. And then he runs duo here with the Buccaneers and he's catching pass from Tom Brady and everything. The, the, the nut graph for, for Leonard Fournette, the summary on the back of the book is, can you get him on a straight line? If so, he's going to rumble over somebody. And when you can run power and run counter and get pullers in front of him, you have the potential of getting Leonard Fournette on a straight line at a second level. And that's when he's going to rip off some of these 9 to 10-yard runs, which is where he's really, really damaging. That's what was drafted so highly. Uh, and so I liked that. And, it, and uh, it provides a flavor to their, their running game and their play-action passing game that they didn't really hit as much previously. So just adding a new dynamic to the offense. That, to me, was notable. Julio looking like he's healthy was notable. Godwin looked like he's healthy was notable. This... Uh, offense, obviously, they 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 stalled a lot in the red zone. They're gonna have to work on that, but they look to be back to like threshing machine levels, where it's just a slow wood chipper march down the field. And there's not much you can do about that. So it was surprising to me that Godwin and Russell Gage were both active, both played. Uh, then it seemed like Godwin, I think, tweaked his hamstring Hammy. at yeah, one yeah. point. So that is something to watch. Um, 
I suppose those are unrelated injuries. It, it made me kind of nervous just for a minute to see that guy who it's like, didn't you just tear your ACL, uh, already back and then get banged up. So I think that's like a mild thing to watch. I did think it looked like uh, the offensive line was a little bit shaky, but overall Tomo doing Tomo things as Tomo, as present company <laughs> would say, um, Steven mentioned the defense. I thought they, they, Looked really, really good. Uh, Steven, are we missing anything? What did you What did you think of Tomo? Do you have any nicknames to add to this pile? No, but I think we have to talk about Julio Jones. The fact, it, beyond the deep catch that he made, which was amazing, the fact that they gave yeah. him two jet jet sweeps and they were both effective was just like, oh man, he has his juice back. He's on the TV and 12 diet. Of course he does. Yeah. Everyone in the Bucks signed. They just rejuvenated. It's funny how that happens. What are you Steven said there's nothing to investigate here. Nothing. Nothing. I don't believe in Santa we Claus. Get, <laughs> we need to get um, gate expert Jerry Jones to take a good, clear look at what's going on over there, yeah. and then we'll really understand it. We'll really Jerry, understand Jerry, what's your uh, prognosis there on Julio Jones? <laughs> what do you think, Jerry? But uh, I, I'm not concerned about the offensive line. Like, it wasn't bad in the ways we feared it would be bad, like the interior pressure. It was just like oh, Donovan Smith got hurt, and then the Cowboys started moving Michael Parsons over to go up against the backup left tackle, and they got sacks and killed drives. So I'm not really worried about the offense. I think the offense is going to be good. I'm even more optimistic about the offense after tonight. Really? Because if Julio is that every game... Do you think that's reasonable? Okay, that's really interesting. I'm so nervous with Julio that I think I have this built in, like, don't... Don't count on it. Anything you get from him is awesome and great. And it's like very cool to see Julio catching deep balls and running jet sweeps and and doing cool stuff. It like, it makes me nervous. So maybe that's why I thought they looked fine. I wasn't like, this is an amazing Bucks offense right now. I, I thought the line was like a little shaky, but that I take your point. No, no, it was definitely not like an impressive performance. I think you just see the pieces, the individual pieces. Yeah. And once they yes. come together, it's going to be like a fire breathing dragon. And if you had said, hey, there's no Gronk, what's going to be the one area where it really hurts the Bucks early in the season? You would have said red zone. That would have been your answer. Like Gronk was the, right. the guy for, these, for this team when they got within the 20. They didn't have him, and they were bad uh, within like the 25, 30. But to me, that's like some regression stuff. That's certainly the pressure stuff. This Michael Parsons cat, man. <laughs> Pretty good. It's just a sick Pretty good. game. Holy smokes. Uh, so, like, yeah, I, I think that you play that game back a bunch of times. You're very rarely going to see the Bucs have to settle for, what, four field goals that they did when they got inside the 30 there? Right. Uh, yeah, to me, that's a little bit noisy. Uh, and I also think that, like, critically, the Bucs have the requisite depth to make sure they don't have to use guys like Julio or Godwin with the hamstring tweak or Leonard Fournette, like that entire fourth quarter was Rashad White. The wide receiver depth chart underneath Julio is it's Russell Gage and Scotty Miller. Like Miller's been like a, a significant role player for them for a while. Russell Gage was a starter last year for the Falcons, right? If they like want to give Julio a veteran rest day on Sunday, they can do it and probably be fine, A-okay. right? And so that's the thing is I think there's going to be a long-term view in the room for the health of some of their older veterans, especially considering how last year ended. Yeah, I almost wondered uh, that was almost the feeling with with Godwin was just like did you need to do this? But if, if his injury is not serious yeah. then that's Also that's not knowing a big Chris deal. Godwin, I would assume he Chris Godwin to. was in Todd Bowles' room saying, "Hey, if I don't play in week 1, I'm going to throw a hissy fit." Uh You and I have a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so it's kind of, you know, how well can you manage Godwin's desire to get on the football field? 
That's actually how you wound up on this podcast tonight, Ben. Uh, through a hissy fit, baby. It's how we do it. Steven and well, I were just going to do a whole, my whole until Sunday I get what I want. night. And Ben said, absolutely not. I'm going to be there. I'm finding the link to the Zoom. I'm going to click on it. I'm going to jump in. You're not going to be able to get rid of me. Uh, ben, we are going to let you go. Will you give us just like, I don't know, 40 seconds on the Eagles before you do? Uh, go Birds. The Eagles... Uh, continue to believe they can stop the run with about four total players. They gave up over 200 rushing yards to the Detroit Lions. They get Dalvin Cook in the Minnesota running game next week, as well as Justin Jefferson. Well, they've showed an inability to cover guys downfield. I feel fine. Personally, I'm loving it. I feel great. Uh, I right now, the only thing I see in the future is Thursday night football. Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes. And then there's just blackness after that. Cause I'm assuming I don't survive that game. I'm assuming that my little heart can't handle the experience. <laughs> so if we even get to Eagles Vikings, Monday night football, it's a victory. I'm excited for that game. I'm excited for you, Ben. I think you're going to make it there. I think and you're you should gonna get be that. There. You should get that little heart checked out. <laughs> that would be a problem. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine what it would look like if I were, if I wore one of those fitness watches that tells you what your heart rate is during NFL Sunday. That would be un- they would be very concerned about me at the Fitbit headquarters or wherever that yeah. information goes. I- I've always said that I watched Game of Thrones for the first time over the summer. Um, and I get very nervous when people fight on television and I-, I never did it. But <laughs> yeah, um, I made it through. Great show. Uh, but I really like there were so many times when I was like, I should really get a Fitbit. Like, I should really be able to track this because I can tell that my physical state is so altered by what's going on here. And that's what I imagine it was like for you uh, watching the Philadelphia Eagles pull out a week one win. Very good. If we circle it back to the first question you asked me about how it is to watch football again, I did say to Mayor at one point, I forgot how much I sweat during these games. So I was just getting getting a little hot on the call. I was just feeling it. It was good. It was a good memory. All right. On that note, thank you so much, Ben. Uh, We hope you survive Thursday Night Football so that you can come back and join us next Sunday. All right. I'll see you then. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, 
NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, let's get to winners and losers. Uh, let's start on a positive note. Steven, would you like to give me a first winner for the day? My first winner is the Kansas City Chiefs who blew out the Cardinals today. I, I don't even know how high that score went. I turned it off in the fourth quarter. I had predicted on the Friday show, by the way, that it was going to be a low scoring affair. It was not. It was not a low scoring affair. Patrick Mahomes, What's surprising to me, he was he led the NFL in uh, EPA per dropback this this week, but he only attempted three passes beyond twenty air yards. So we had been talking like all offseason long about how we the Chiefs were going to try to unlock their deep passing game. They just didn't have to. We saw like the first three years of Patrick Mahomes' career, a lot of deep throws. Last year, he kind of figured out he had to throw the uh, throw the underneath stuff to open up those deep balls. This. This week, we got like mid-range Patrick Mahomes. It was all like 10 to 20 yards, just crazy tight window throws. And here's the crazy thing. Like, I know a lot of people are criticizing Vance Joseph because they blitz a lot. I think they blitz him like 50 times, 50% of the time. I thought the Cardinals game plan in their defense wasn't that bad. It was just Mahomes is making these crazy plays out of structure. And it was like good defense and he actually performed worse against the blitz than he did against a four man rush. So I'm not faulting that game plan. I think Mahomes has like raised his game to another level. And we're going to see this chief's offense be like a totally different thing compared to what it was like the first three years of his career. And even last year. So they win 44 to 21 and, and I'm sort of with you on the offense because it's kind of like no notes, no notes, Patrick, it, it, 360 Perfect. yards. 9.2 yards per attempt, five touchdowns. Um, Nate Tice tweeted that they ran 66 offensive plays and they had 33 first downs. Like, that's not really how you how football goes. No. That's just like not a thing. Um, the questions over what that offense would look like without Tyreek Hill. I mean, Travis Kelsey was very clearly the focal point. That went just fine. I do. I, I am not willing to concede that blitzing wasn't a mistake. Though I mean, this was the first game in Patrick Mahomes' entire career where he was blitzed on over half his dropbacks. This is from Next Gen Stats. He's the only quarterback since 2018 to be blitzed less than 24% of the time in general, obviously not today. And he has still generated more than twice as much passing EPA against the blitz than any other quarterback. This is like... We don't even really have to consider the results in this case to know that they made a mistake because this is a player who you do not blitz a ton. And the Cardinals were just like, you know, it would be funny if we did blitz him more than anyone has ever done. Like, I, 
I, I cannot sit here and tell you I think that logic is sound. I do not think that this was a, a good game plan, although I take your point about... I totally agree. I totally agree. But let me give you some numbers. 5.5 okay. yards per drop back against the Blitz. 12 yards per drop back against no Blitz. Like, I mean... What can you say about that? Like, it's not like when they were rushing for it, it was working. He was giving it, he was gaining 12 yards per drop back. It really, it's, 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 it is hard to find a counter for that specific example, other than just to say that it was all bad, right? Like, it's not like they were crushing him against the blitz. Nothing was right, working. No, no, right. They were, he was, he was like phenomenal against both any option the 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 Cardinals took he killed it it's uh, all he, I have for you is that blitzing Patrick Mahomes is bad and that the Cardinals somehow managed to be extra bad when they decided not to like that that's all I got but if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm looking at this game God help me if I mean okay so they have the the Chargers next but God help me if somewhere down the line I'm like you know what my takeaway is I should blitz that guy that would be a good idea. It would no, not be a good idea. No, the best the best game plan is to pretend like you're sick and just not show up for work that day. Because there's the, I I I don't have the words to describe some of the things he did. Like the, no other quarterback should try those things. They would get hurt if they tried those things. He had one pass to Travis Kelsey. It was like a deep over route, and Travis Kelsey was like completely covered. And the the throw was just perfect. And the way Mahomes like threw it and let go of the ball, it was like he was he was aiming it within like an inch and it was like 30 yards downfield. It just, yeah, like you said, no notes. He's the best quarterback in the league. Like I had uh, Aaron Rodgers ranked number one coming into this week. No, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, that, that I think I'm with you on that one. This like, I'm not a, I'm not a Ewing theory person with, Tyreek Hill in the sense that I know that if you talk to defensive coordinators, that is like one of the top guys where they're just like, I don't want a game plan against you. Right. So this is in no way to say that they're not going to in some ways miss him or that he's not a very, very good player to have on, on your roster and that he didn't make their offense better a lot of the time. But they're just so experienced at this point. Like the reason they had to get rid of him is because they are in this mode now where they're not really looking at like, okay, let's, let's blow out our week one opponent, even though that's obviously what happened. They're looking at seasons as we just have to, hopefully if we can get the one seed, that's really valuable. So hopefully we can do that, but they've got to be looking at, we just need to get to the AFC championship game absolutely right. as many times as we possibly can while we employ this guy. It doesn't really matter how it goes if the season that that leads up to that is incredibly dominant or not. And he's good enough that if you don't get the one seed, it's not like all is lost. Because if you do that, you're just going to, you have enough of a chance to do that like five times in the next however many years. And then you're going to win a bunch of Super Bowls and it's going to be awesome. And watching Mahomes just operate this offense, even without the player who used to be their offensive focal point, other than the quarterback, obviously watching him do that really solidified that the other thing that in a weird way sort of solidified that for me today was that when Butker, the kicker got hurt, they had a plan and there were so many kicking issues today where it's, it, it just reveals like what an Achilles heel it is for so many teams where if the long snapper gets hurt or if there is like a critical special teams injury, 
There's just sort of nothing they can do about it. And then you're looking at the Chiefs and there's a sideline reporter going, oh, no, they had Justin Reed do it a couple of times in the preseason and he practices it once in a while. And that's that's not to say that, you know, these are specialist jobs for a reason. That's not going to say that it's going to solve the problem. But there was so much about how this game went. I think particularly when you compare it to just what we know about what's dysfunctional about the Cardinals right now that made me be like, oh, yeah, the team with the really solid coaching staff that's done this for forever and the quarterback who's a wizard, those guys are pretty good. Good take, good take. Uh, Thanks, bud. I would also add the defense. Like, the offense is obviously going to steal all the headlines because they scored a lot of points. The defense really looked impressive to me. They re- they put uh, Tyler Murray under pressure a lot. They got a lot from uh, George Karloftis, the rookie. I think they got him on day two. Five pressures led the team with pressures. Uh, they Carlos Dunlap got a sack. They I forget who the other guy was, but the, they were. Chris Jones after, had a really yeah, really Chris good Jones game. Chris Jones had a good game. He didn't get a sack, but he had a lot of pressures. They were getting after Murray. I think Murray was pressured on forty percent of his dropbacks. That's a big deal. If their defense is just like league average i mean right this team is gonna they're gonna waltz to like the first seed because i we're gonna get to the chargers later but the chargers like they almost chargered again so i'm not totally sold on them the raiders obviously lost that game i i don't i don't know if the the afc west is going to be as competitive as we think if this is what the chiefs offense looks like every week Uh oh Uh oh we'll see on thursday that's true in the game that might kill Ben Zolak. All right. I'll give you my first winner, which is another offense that wasn't quite as high scoring, but in certain ways was very, very impressive, which is the Vikings who beat the Packers 23 to seven, mostly due to the unbelievably good play of Justin Jefferson, who caught nine passes for 184 yards and two touchdowns, which is pretty good. I've been yes. I've been told that that is pretty good. That's my understanding. Uh, a big talking point from this game was that the Packers played mostly zone defensively, which meant that they didn't get Jair Alexander matched up on Jefferson very much. Um, and after the game, Alexander told a couple of Packers reporters, Matt Schneidman and Rob Domofsky, that, quote, all week I was asking for that matchup. Um, but then he said it wasn't about him. So it didn't seem like he was too upset, but it did seem like he was maybe a little bit. You never know if that's just defensive backs talking or if he was salty about that. Uh, Matt LaFleur said that they would have wanted him to be matched up on Jefferson more, but they couldn't do it if they were committed to playing zone. I, I just struggle with that because the one the one snap in the third quarter where they actually did get them matched up one on one, Alexander forced an incompletion. Andrew offensive pass interference. So it just seems like you paid that guy a lot of money and he's very good at football and you might want to put him on the other guy who's very good at football. That is just me. Uh, the Packers have had week one stinkers before. I, I am really, really hesitant to draw all that much on their side from this overall. But I do think that that seeing this new Vikings offense perform pretty well. I mean, we think of the Packers defense as very good generally and particularly get, you know, their best offensive player in space, making a huge impact is pretty important, particularly because let's say 
the Packers totally rebound and this becomes a two team race in the division. That's where this game is going to matter. It's going to matter less is like, okay, are the Packers sunk because they were terrible in week one? We know that that's not necessarily true. It happened last year. But even if they do rebound, it never it never hurts to win a game in the division. So I, I was really impressed by the Vikings, particularly for what they were able to do offensively in the first game with Kevin O'Connell. What did you think, Stephen? Yeah, like the deep passing game was really working. Justin Jefferson told us on this podcast that he was going to be the best receiver after the season. And week one, early returns, looking pretty good on that prediction. That's what I was most impressed with is their ability to produce those deep shots. And I think part of the reason why the the Packers didn't play a lot of man is just, it's hard to do when you play an offense like this. It's the McVay Shanahan type of offense. Like those teams usually see a lot of zone because they're going to run the ball early and you don't want to be playing man necessarily against the run looks. And I mean, I get Jair Alexander's frustration, but that's just the type of defense you're in. We, we saw it with Jalen Ramsey. They, the Rams played a ton of soft zone right. on Thursday night. He didn't get to man up. And it's it's a shame that some um, of these defenses I, I are going I heard that that didn't way. count, though. Yeah, those don't count. We don't count. We don't count zone reps. Zone does not count as covering. Like, I don't care. I don't care. But uh, <laughs> only man reps. But I just think that's what you have to do in this league. You have to play man coverage. You have to find a way to stick tight to receivers, and the, the Packers just couldn't do it. And I I think I think one way to explain it is maybe not playing in preseason, not playing their starters was the issue because you're playing a, a brand of defense where you need a lot of communication. They play a lot, a lot of match coverage where they're passing off routes, and that was an issue. We saw the one touchdown that Justin Jefferson scored. No one was around him. The best player on the other team, just no one covered him. And I th- maybe these teams need to start playing their, their starters in preseason a little more. I don't know. It, but it, I thought this across the league, it just seemed like teams were off. Yeah. I mean, there's always something to that. And then it's, right, it's also true. like some of the teams that rest their guys look totally fine or the teams that play really hard in the preseason and have starters take a lot more snaps can also look bad. I do think like it's hard to look at the Packers and not go, okay, this is a team that notably doesn't have starters play a lot in the preseason, lets them take a a light workload getting ready for the season. Two seasons in a row, they've had these really bad week one outings. And then also, you know, Aaron Rodgers spent a lot of the (laughs) offseason appearing on podcasts, which no shade. So did I. <laughs> that said, you guys, you guys basically I, had the same summer. That's not good. <laughs> I don't think that's a good thing. I worry about this. I, I do worry about it a tad enough that like, look, let's just put it this way. If I were Matt LaFleur, I would maybe try something different next year. Yes. Just give it a whirl. Maybe it won't change anything. And clearly it didn't sink their season last year. So there's, there's really no good reason to think that it would this year. I mean, th- that's at least how I feel. I was much more encouraged by the Vikings in this game than worried yeah. about the Packers. But the only thing is they had Devonte Adams last year. And I've, I felt like I didn't watch the full game, but whenever I looked up on third down, like Aaron Rodgers was, it was like he was looking for Devonte Adams and he just wasn't there. And I think that's going to be an issue all season. I think the Packers are going to be fine. But yeah. when, they, when they start playing good teams, and you got to have those plays on third down because those plays are going to come up against good teams more often. 
I don't, I just, I'm ready to write them off as like Super Bowl contenders just because they don't have that go-to guy. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to be able to create that on his own. We saw like when at the end of the Mike McCarthy era, when Aaron Rodgers was going on that dip, that was the problem. He was trying to make too many plays out of structure and he was, he started to miss open receivers running downfield. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. Don't laugh at what I'm about to say. I I do think that when they get Lazard back, it might be a little bit better just because Rogers likes him and seems to trust him. And yes. other than Randall Cobb, it seems like he holds most of the people he's playing with in contempt right now. So if he at least feels like the guy that he's playing with is, you know, just as good as Devonte Adams or whatever he said over the summer, which is obviously not true. Uh, it'll help. It'll help somewhat. I'm not, I'm not too worried about the Packers. I'm encouraged by the Vikings, but not too worried about the Packers. Uh, who are we worried about, Stephen? Can we get a loser going on in here? Uh, yeah, I, this brings me no pleasure, but the Bengals are oh, my no. first loser. That's a lie. It brings me a lot of pleasure. <laughs> I've had a contentious offseason with Bengals fans. No, but the Bengals, the Bengals offense in particular, and you hear that Joe Burrow, they lost the game 23 to 20, a crazy game. They probably should have lost it like three times. The Steelers probably should have lost it like three times. Steelers end up winning. Uh, on a last, I, there was like two minutes left in overtime when they kicked it. I read that, like I saw the box score. Joe Burrow got sacked seven times. And I expected the offensive line to be bad when you looked at the underlying metrics, but it, he wasn't that bad. Only six quarterbacks were pressured more or less than he was this on Sunday. There were seven sacks, but he had 65 dropbacks. So that kind of like inflates the numbers. Right. And And the concerning thing though is that it wasn't the new guys that were giving up the pressure. The one guy that gave up pressure was Jonah Williams. And like the left side of the offensive line was kind of the strong suit of the pass protection unit last year. And now all of a sudden that's an issue. An issue. He was getting killed by Highsmith. Like TJ Watt, TJ Watt made a lot of plays, but it was Highsmith that was producing the pressure most often against Jonah Williams. And part of the other reason that they took a lot of sacks was because Joe Burrow, he just, he needs to get rid of the ball quickly. I thought he was trying to do too much. He was trying to spin out of sacks. He was, he got knocked out of field goal range a couple of times. There was the first sack of the game. He had a guy wide open in the flat. He just didn't throw it to him and he took a sack. It was a rough game for Joe Burrow. Now, having said that, I don't think Joe Burrow is going to be that bad because he was really bad. I don't think he's going to be that bad going forward, but there is one concern. They didn't, they didn't hit on any of those perimeter deep balls that like powered their offense last year. And I think that's because the, the Steelers adjusted how they played the Bengals. They played a lot of cover two this uh, week and they basically forced Joe Burrow to make like those deep outbreaking throws, which he doesn't have the strongest arm, which I've covered a lot. And he, he struggled making them. He threw a pick on one of them. I think it was his first pick. This offense is going to need like a plan B if teams are able to take away those explosives. And they were on Sunday at least, but the Steelers have a really good defense. But if that continues, I think that's something to watch going forward. If they're not hitting those explosives down the sideline, I don't know if Zach Taylor has a plan B, but it's going to be on him to find one. This was not the most encouraging Zach Taylor game. I would say there was, there was some wasted seconds on the clock when he punted with, um, some time left in regulation that they could have used in the end. Obviously he didn't challenge the chase catch that probably was a touchdown 
where he said he didn't think it was and that it's hard to see that part of the field. So it's it's entirely possible that they could have won this game, even though they, yes. as you said, it seemed like they should have lost it five different times. It's also possible that they could have won it if there had been one different coaching choice. Other than that, I, I'm not that worried about the Bengals after this. I, I just think the ways in which Joe Burrow was bad were so uncharacteristic, particularly early in the game when he had all the turnovers, Bengals were minus five in the turnover differential in this game. The Steelers defense just like, it, it just seems like they freaked him out. It just seemed yes. like he didn't, he didn't see the field clearly. And that's just not what happens to Joe Burrow. And I actually think it would have been scarier if it had been like, okay, they did all this work in the off season to improve the offensive line. And then they go out there and he's just getting pummeled again. And it felt like that was happening sometimes because it's still the Steelers defense and they're so well coached and they're really good and they're really good year over year. And, and because of the offense, we sort of forget how solid they are and how many guys are just really impactful there. But as you were saying, he was only pressured on 14% of his dropbacks. That's from true media but he was sacked on almost 12% of them. That's like really weird. That is not a thing that's going to repeat itself over and over again. That is a statistical anomaly. Normally, if he's taking that little pressure, he would not be getting sacked all that much. So I'm willing to say that that's just not going to happen over and over again. And part of that is just, it's an outlier. Part of that, it's just the Steelers have really, really good impact players who are good finishers and who are explosive and who are super, super strong and athletic. If we take that as not something that's going to be representative of what the Bengals season is going to look like, then it actually does look like they improved their offensive line because on a pressure basis, they did pretty well against a really, really good defensive front. And if that's true, then they didn't necessarily solve, but they helped the biggest thing that held them back last year. And I think that's much more important than Joe Burrow having a really weird game that I just right, don't yeah. think that he will have all that many of this season. So I, I'm not that freaked out about it, but I get it. Like, I get it. Yeah, I really don't think the offensive line was that big of an issue on second watch. Like, it seemed like it the first time you watched, like one of the sacks was like an RPO that ended up getting busted. It was it was like a lot of weird plays. But like you said, there there wasn't a lot of pressure and a lot of the pressure came on blitzes when like the pass protection communication wasn't there this was really like for me this was more of a coaching loss than like the offensive line stunk again in the same way it did last year it stunk in a totally different way i don't even think it was that bad and i it's the dak conversation all over again like i don't expect burrow to be bad in these ways he's not going to throw into coverage five times he's not going to miss throws i don't think he's going to get sacked as often as he did if he faces that little pressure so i i'm with you the only thing i'm concerned about is the deep ball stuff because i do think that they're going to see different coverages. Burrow mentioned that in the yeah. offseason. That was a he he said it himself. He's like, we're not going to be have those explosives again. We need to find other ways to do it. I'm confident in like the players executing those those plan Bs and Cs. I'm just not sure if Zach Taylor is going to be the guy that is able to fix the offense if it is broken. They're not going to. They're going to face different coverages and not be able to have as many of those explosive plays because too high is ruining the league. It is ruining the league. That's why the, it it's took like football. forever for it's turning it to baseball. It is. Oh, we need to ban too high. No more too high. No more play action. No more RPOs. 
Save, save it for the island, Stephen. Okay. All right. You mentioned communication issues on an offensive line and, and bad blitz pickups and coaching issues, which brings me to my next loser, the New England Patriots. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was just too good of a segue to pass up. You, you could have added in weak, weak arm quarterbacks too, but you, you passed on that one. <laughs> Are you talking about Mac or two or both? I'm talking about Mac Tua and the the, the Bengals quarterback. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's talk about Mac and Tua. Uh, Patriots lost 20 to seven to the Dolphins. Mike McDaniel out coaches Bill Belichick. Tua's now four and zero. Very very impressive stats against the Patriots dynasty. Uh look. I didn't think either of these teams looked that great, but the Patriots no. certainly looked a lot worse. And if the main issue from the preseason was that they were trying to install a new offense and failing, a major reason for that being communication issues on the offensive line that's supposed to be coached by Matt Patricia, but they're not really coached by Matt Patricia very much because he's busy shadow coordinating the offense except when the quarterback has issues, he talks to Joe judge who's sort of also maybe the offensive coordinator, but isn't calling the plays and nobody's calling the off and nobody's the offensive coordinator. And Oh, by the way, both of these people don't really coach offense or haven't very much before. Uh, totally normal. That totally. was the central issue of the preseason. And we're all going, yeah, but it's the Patriots. They'll figure it out. Well, they haven't figured it out yet is, is what I would say we can take away from this game because there were a lot of issues, but I would say the most severe one was they just looked like they were totally confused on the offensive line. Uh, they really struggled with blitz pickup that led to the strip sack touchdown that was against the blitz. Um, another sack was against a blitz. Mac Jones threw a pick on another blitz play they were rotating offensive linemen. Um, Cole Strange and Isaiah Wynn were going in and out for uh, Kajust and James Ferentz, which I think was because it was really, really hot in Miami and they wanted to, to spell them some reps and try to keep the stamina up. But that looked like a mess. And I was looking at some of the, the like advanced stats about how the offensive line did and, and pressures and everything, and it didn't actually end up being that bad on paper. It was bad. It was really, really bad. They were blown up pretty regularly. And uh, Mac maybe got hurt. He didn't talk to reporters afterwards because he um, hurt his either back or neck is what the team said. Tom Pelissero reported that he had some x-rays and they came back negative for anything serious. So that's, that's okay. But he was, he was getting hit and if those issues of who's coaching the offense and what's it going to look like and are they trying and failing to install this new offense, if all of that is the type of thing that we tend to give the Patriots the benefit of the doubt for, I'm just saying that we should be chipping away at that because it really didn't look good and it didn't look good in the same ways that we were worried about it not looking good. So I would be pretty freaked out if I were around that offense right now because not only is it it seemingly causing them to lose games, it's making the quarterback look bad. And that's your best asset as a team right now. So all in all, pretty bad. Uh, would you agree? Do you think I'm going over overboard with this? 
No, no, I did not have high hopes for this offense. And like, there's no reason to change my mind after this performance. It was ugly in all the ways you said. And like you said, there, he, Mac didn't get pressured a lot on paper, but like when he did get pressured, it was like the worst pressure possible. It was, it was like, like a free disaster. rushers yeah. on his blind side. Yeah, it was bad. And like the offense just didn't look smooth at all. Like there was a, this talk about them running like the Rams style of offense. Didn't look like it. There was like the, the thing about the Rams offense is they, they have series play calling. Like one play sets up another play and that sets up another play. They have right. counters to counters. There was none of that in this offense. They never got. No, it was just they were just running to the outside more than they usually do. But it was all totally disjointed. Yeah, it was. It was an ugly, ugly game. It looked like a game that was coordinated by Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Like, that's what it looked like. And I, I I don't know where this offense goes from here. And on the other side, like, I do think the Dolphins defense deserves some credit. They played really well. And the the yeah. pass rush looked really good. And the secondary was tight to routes. But I, I'm putting a lot of this on the Patriots themselves because they're like, there were run plays that just didn't make sense schematically, like with the numbers and who was blocking who. It, it was ugly. And I don't know how they fix it. Like, who fixes it? And I think, like you said, they're putting too much on Mac's plate. Like, a lot of the talk during the offseason was like, oh, yeah, they have these inexperienced coordinators, but, like, Mac's a smart quarterback. He Like, he knows what he's doing. There's jokes about him being the actual offensive coordinator, but he's still a second-year player who only started one full, one full season in college. Like, he's very young, and I don't think he's the guy that's going to help them sort out their pass protection communication issues just because – why should he? He's so young. Like quarterbacks aren't given that responsibility that early. I I'm very down on the Patriots after this game. Yeah, I, th- I think there's pretty good reason for that. Can we get another winner? Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with the Ravens. I'm gonna go with the Ravens, and not just because Lamar Lamar looked good. He was tossing the ball downfield. He threw three touchdowns, but everything that happened around the Ravens in their division, like I know the Browns won, but Jacoby Brissett. That offense looked horrible. Yikes. Jacoby Brissett looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, their their running game is good enough where they'll stay in some games. But with that passing offense, that's not a, even with their defense being pretty good, like that, that is not a good team. Yeah. And then the Steelers, the Steelers obviously win, but then they, they lose TJ Watt for, it, it looks like it could be a long time. Najee Harris goes down. Mitch Trubisky, the magic ran out after one, one quarter. The Matt Canada, it's like Matt Canada has all these like little gimmicks that he does to get yards. And like, if he runs too many of them, if he runs out by like the second quarter, he's done. It's like, we're, we're gaining three yards. <laughs> yeah. We're gaining three yards for the rest of the game. So, the, and then obviously the Bengals lose, they lose a, a home game against a divisional opponent. So now like the Ravens are in, they're out ahead. They got a lead on the Bengals. Yeah. The offense was missing Ronnie Stanley. It was missing JK Dobbins. I, I know the Jets like are the Jets, but their defense is supposed to be a lot better on paper. And Lamar was pushing the ball downfield, and he looked really good as a passer. Like I know that the final stat line doesn't look amazing. Like he had, he threw a lot of completions, but he was I think he had the highest A dot across the league. It was like over twelve yards, so he was really chucking it downfield. They got some explosive plays, and that was like the concern. The last couple of years, the explosive plays kind of went away. But they found a way to do that again. Rashad Bateman had a long touchdown. No one covered him, but it still counts. Uh, Devin Duvernay, like, all of a sudden is emerging really as, good. like, a legit wide receiver number two. I really like where this offense is going. When it gets healthy, I think – I don't – it's never going to get back to t- 2019. But I don't think it has to because this defense also looks amazing. The defensive line really is, 
it might be the best defensive line in football. Mike McDonald, I think it, he's, I'm already convinced. I'm already sold. He's a good defensive coordinator. This is the best team in the AFC North, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that, particularly because you mentioned the Jets defense not being abysmal. I, I'm really with you on that. I thought they had a kind of nice game and it was just. It, it's all for naught and it's going to probably continue to be all for naught because we have to see things like Joe Flacco dropping back to pass 59 times, which should be like you should have to go to The Hague for that. That's not that shouldn't be allowed. That's not nice. I was chanting play Mike White from my couch. Um, but I thought, you know, their their defensive line is pretty good. Uh, Sauce Gardner, you know, he looked amazing in the preseason. He looked really good today. I, I think yeah. there's some real players on that defense. So while beating the Jets in, in and of itself is not necessarily that impressive, I think it's legit that we saw the Ravens offense look good against the Jets defense. Uh, we also learned today, according to Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen, that the Ravens, at least according to to somebody with knowledge, offered Lamar a contract for six years, $290 million, $133 million guaranteed. Somebody asked Lamar about this postgame, and he said no, that that wasn't the offer, um, which I don't know. It could always have something to do with what's guaranteed, what isn't. Uh, based on those numbers, it seems like the issue would have been the contract length because other than Mahomes, who did the really long deal, it seems like a lot of top quarterbacks would rather do five-year deals or, or shorter now to keep some control. That 133 million guaranteed number is actually pretty strong. It would just put him behind um, Cleveland's deal for Deshaun Watson in terms of total guarantees, which obviously is a bit of a different situation. Um, but it certainly didn't look like whatever's going on behind the scenes there mattered to him. I would not have expected it to, but it's still a good sign, I think, for them to just come out and look really, really good because there is that that additional thing hovering over them of what's going on with the quarterback and the contract. Yeah, they're going to pay him right, though. Like, I, I feel like this is it's dragging on and maybe Lamar not having an agent is contributing to that but they're gonna pay him and it, it games like today are why they have to pay him they have no choice and i see why lamar is like demanding everything like give me fully guaranteed money i would be asking for that too because what are they gonna do let him walk he's the best player on the team he's a one-man offense like today was a perfect example of that they didn't really have a lot going outside of lamar just being lamar and it wasn't like, oh, I'm hitting the top of my drop back and I'm getting the ball out. He was like creating with his his legs. He was scrambling. He was like changing his arm angle. It was a very creative game for Lamar Jackson. And it's going to get harder to not pay him by the week. I, I really think he's going to have a great year this year. I would just say that if, and I don't know if this is exactly true, but it seems like some of where Lamar's coming from is look at what just happened in Cleveland. Yes. And what I wouldn't underestimate is how like kind of livid a lot of NFL owners are about the precedent that that kind of deal that the Browns did could set. So the only piece that worries me is if Lamar really cares about something like that. And I certainly wouldn't blame him. 
I don't know what happens, but I know that that would mean that they would be really, really far apart on what the deal would have to look like. And that's just a little bit scary territory to be in when you have a bunch of billionaire owners who are friends with each other who want to prove a point. And yeah, they don't want that. damn. I don't want Lamar Jackson in that position because he's a wonderful player and it would be really, really terrible if something bad happened here. But games like this are going to go a long way to getting him everything that he wants and more. And he certainly deserves it. Yeah, I don't think owners want that damn to break. I, I think the the Watson contract is still like an isolated incident. Like he's like, oh, that yep. doesn't compare to what we're doing. But if Lamar gets a deal like that, yeah, the dam is breaking and all the quarterbacks are going to be asking for deals like that. All right. Do I owe you another another loser? No, a winner. I need a winner. Oh, I'll give you a winner. All right. How about the Chargers? How about the Los Angeles Chargers? Uh, so... We, we talked a little bit about um, whether the AFC West is sort of the Chiefs to own earlier. I don't know that the Chargers beating the Raiders 24 to 19 is necessarily the kind of statement they would have had to make to be like, oh my God, the Chargers could really unseat the Chiefs in the division. But I do think that they are a clear winner from week one because we talked a lot this offseason about how they had a plan to get better defensively. And then you watch them go out against an offense that has a lot of talent. Khalil Mack has three sacks. Defense overall combines for six. He and Joey Bosa look like a really good, just problem duo. Uh, They hold the Raiders to 64 total rushing yards, which uh, notably was an issue the last time they played them. Devontae Adams did some Devontae Adams stuff. That's fine. But overall, pretty good defensively and good in the ways that you would want it to be good. That was so clearly the thing that sunk the Chargers last season that just watching them face a good offense and have those things work, I think is a is a step forward if it didn't necessarily altogether come in a package where you would go, oh my God, here come the Chargers. Yeah, and it was like a bit of role reversal because you had the char- the offense started sputtering at the end. I thought they just took the foot off the gas. Like I thought Joe Lombardi, they were up a, a couple scores and they started doing run, run, pass every time they got the ball. Very conservative in the fourth quarter. But the defense came up big every time. It had to come up big. Got a t- got three turnovers from Derek Carr. He threw three picks. A couple red zone stands, very good game, and then without J.C. Jackson, so you you're not really worried about Devontae Adams carving them up, and he really did most of his damage early. But I thought that they figured things out as the game went wore on, and like you said, the defensive front stopping the run that was a plus across the board, and then Justin Herbert, my God, he was pressured on almost fifty percent of his dropbacks. And it did not look like it. He still almost played like a perfect game with like a perfect stat line. Just, I cannot wait for Thursday. I think those are the, they're the two best quarterbacks in the league right now. And he was good enough where even though the Chiefs were so dominant and the final score was not so dominant for the Chargers, you still feel like, holy crap, I can't wait to see that game. Because if the quarterback is going to play like that and be able to get them out of situations like that, that's a toss up. That's like, yeah, we, do we do? don't know what's going to happen there. What do you do? Particularly because we're starting to get like, this is one of these things that I'm so fascinated to watch with Justin Herbert this season, because after his first year, so much was like, okay, the way that he's performing under pressure, the way that he's performing on third downs, like 
this has to be an outlier. These are not sustainable metrics. Well, we're starting to get to a body of work where it's just like, I don't know, guys. I think the regression would have come by now if it were coming. I'm not sure it's like coming down the pipeline somewhere. This might just be who this guy is. He might be a little bit different. So, uh, and I think recalibrating those expectations is kind of like what the journey has been for me being like, oh, holy shit, this is actually that dude. Um, Yeah, it looks different. Like it looks different when he plays, when he throws the football. (laughs) It really is just like a different, it's a different game. And that's why we all might not make it through through Thursday, just like Ben Solak. Now I'm getting lost. Is it, do I, do I give you a winner? Do I give you a loser? No, I have a loser. I have, I have the next loser. Thank you for keeping me on track, Steven. My next loser is the AFC South, the whole division. <laughs> let's, let's go through this. They played Carson Wentz. They played Daniel Jones. And then the other matchup was, a, was between two AFC South teams. And somehow they did not win a game. They figured out a way not to win a game when they had a scheduled game between two teams in the division. So the Titans and Texans tied 2020. The Commanders beat the Jaguars 28-22. And then the Giants won on a last-second missed field goal by the Titans by Randy Bullock 21-20. Finally, the Titans don't lose a game, don't win a game they're not supposed to win. It was a big win for me and Ben Solak, who were like writing off the Titans all year last year. But I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence and I want to talk about the Jaguars. I'm shocked. It was not a good start for my Trevor Lawrence is going to finish as a top 10 quarterback this year uh, take. But I will say this. This is what's most concerning is that I thought Trevor was pretty good, pretty decent. He was pretty decent. And yet they still only scored 22 points and they look like the Jaguars again. And that's concerning. Like the wide receivers, the investment in the receiver position did not work out. They were still not making those plays that they weren't that they weren't making last year either. I think they dropped two catches in the in the one red zone trip that would have been touchdowns. They had the another Etienne. one. Yeah, they had some other drops, some other key drops on third down. Like Trevor was throwing it downfield, he was slinging it downfield. They just don't have the bodies around him, man. They don't have the skills, and then the offensive line was getting beat up, which is, I mean, that's understandable going up against a good Washington defensive line. Although they were missing Chase Young, obviously. It's, I I don't know. I I just don't know if it's going to work out. Like I know Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. I think Doug Peterson's a good coach, but this front office, like, I think that's the one thing I forgot when I was like, started to get more optimistic about the Jaguars. It's, it's still a team that was put together by Trent Baalke and it looked like that on Sunday. Yeah. I think, I think it's a little disappointing. I would just caution you. Give, give a little time. Give it a I'll few it more weeks. It was raining. It was raining. It, it was, you know, that throws everything it's a off. light drizzle. It was a light drizzle. I'm coping. Think I'm coping about it here. this way. If like, okay, Jags receivers dropped 41 passes last season. That cannot possibly take pl- place again. It just can't. That's true. It can't. It can't happen again. And if Etienne hadn't had that drop in the end zone, which was just like, it, it just makes you feel like they're cursed, but it, I don't believe in curses. If that hadn't happened and they say they win this game, maybe we feel slightly differently about this. I agree with you overall that the biggest issue here is just there's there's the front office is what the front office is and the roster construction leaves a lot to be desired in, in certain ways. And unfortunately, one concern I do have for them in the 
longer term future is that while they added some useful players over this offseason, the amount of money they gave them right. is going to cause them additional roster building problems in the future. That said, I thought Christian Kirk looked okay. Yeah, Christian Kirk looked good. He had a lot of yards after contact. I think he had over 100 yards overall. It seemed like yeah. they had a decent connection. Like, I don't know. I, but but that's like, that's what it's like, kind of like the Patriots last year where you're like, yeah, the offense is better and it kind of looks good, but they spend a lot of money for this and it doesn't look like they're getting their money's worth. That's like kind of, kind of where you're at. Like, it's not like this is like the Texans last year where they just like signed a bunch of cheap veterans and played a bunch of young guys. This is, they invested heavily in this supporting yeah. cast and it is not good. Yeah. Well, I, I would give it a little bit of time just because Trevor looked pretty good and it's, I think the Washington could end up just being a really, really volatile team because like Wentz was throwing it back to the defense a little bit, but on the whole, I think he got more good Carson than bad Carson Right. Yeah. today for sure. There's some pretty good skill position guys there and that defense has, has dudes. So on a day when they're not like totally melting down and I'm sure they're going to have those days too. That's not a terrible team. Now, I don't think that makes them a very good team for a, for a 17 game season, but they're not an abysmal team when things are working there. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like horribly offended by the Jags, although I am horribly offended by the AFC South. That was terrible. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, I've seen enough from the Titans, the Texans and the Colts, like the Colts, one of, one of these teams is obviously going to make the playoffs, but I mean, this wild card loss, can we just fast forward to it right now? <laughs> The Saturday noon yeah, I mean, game with the first kick on Saturday on Wild Card Saturday. There's going to be a lot of relegation jokes that that have to do with this division. I I still think it's the Colts, but geez, that was not pretty. I will say the the MVP comes from this division. That's so Calling true. It now I also think I felt like watching uh, more of that Colts Texans game than I would care to admit that I watched. I think the overused anecdote of the year, like the Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard, Chris Hogan played lacrosse of the year is going to be Jonathan Owens is married to Simone Biles. Cause oh, he that... was pretty good. And he's just going to, there's, there's going to be so many games where there's just nothing to talk about. And I think it's going to come up a lot. So I'm calling that I'm making that my AFC, AFC South prediction of the year. If I could replace that, just that as the division winner, I think I would. Now you have to watch every Texans game to keep track. I will not be doing that. Uh, all right. My last loser comes from the NFC South. I'm really disappointed about this because my loser is the Falcons, who were so close to being one of the winners of this week until they allowed the Saints to go in the largest fourth quarter comeback in team history. I really think that if you just don't look at the game script, there is so much more to like than to dislike from this game for Atlanta. Drake London looked really good. I thought Mariota looked pretty steady. The offensive line, when they were using a lot of play action, looked totally serviceable. Um, Corderell Patterson ripped off like over 100 yards. It, it just looked like what you kind of want to see from this Falcons offense, especially, which is like, oh my God, all of these kind of weird, but talented players can actually come together in something that's effective. 
Then they totally blow it, they, particularly defensively. And they were actually getting pressure on New Orleans early in the game, which is like unheard of from the Saints who had 18 sacks all of last season. They had four early on in this game. And it was like, I don't know what's happening here. They went totally prevent defense. It was so soft. It was so just like you could see it coming a mile away. The falconing commenced. They lose. And then after the game, when like, okay, whatever. You lost in week one to the Saints, who are widely considered a better team than than you. And I know it fits into this team history of, of blowing late leads and games, and, and that's a sensitive thing. But Arthur Smith comes out afterwards and is just so angsty about it and is like yelling it at the beat reporters saying you buried us in May go bury us again and it's like bro like why are you this mad so it makes them a loser I'm sad to say that it makes them a loser I they were so close to being winners but they grabbed what is it grabbed defeat from the the jaws of victory I I don't know but that saying was made for the Atlanta Falcons That should be their like little like hashtag instead of rise up. It's pretty long. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they could translate it into Latin and it would sound like a cool, (laughs) cool motto. Uh, Anything on the Falcons? Anything on Falcon Saints? No, like I think they're going to be like the hipster film watcher team because they do like a lot of like college stuff. They're going to like do like a lot of pistol and run option and they're going to lose every game like this. But the people are going to be like, look at this cool stuff they're doing. But yeah, they ran like every variation of play action that you could possibly run. Like we talked about earlier about how the Cowboys need to make things easier for Dak Prescott and how the Patriots need to make things easier for uh, Mac Jones. The Falcons are doing that for Marcus Mariota. You can't fault them for that. That's like all they're doing is just trying to hit all the easy buttons for him. I thought it was working for a while and then it, it stopped working. All right. We are going to close out every Sunday with a sort of two minute drill and share a story that's interesting or fun, but a little bit under the radar, you know, it doesn't, doesn't rise to the level of a, of a falconing. Um, and I thought for this week, we could just revel in the most wholesome moment of the week, which I feel came from soldier field. Uh, where the Niners and Bears today played a game that maybe they should not have played because there was an absolute torrential downpour in Chicago and it was disgusting on the field, which was a soppy mess. But the Bears pulled off a 1910 upset over San Francisco. And after the game, Justin Fields and a bunch of other Bears literally turned the field into a slip and slide and just were like gliding on their chests into the end zone and splashing around in all of the mud. Uh, And other than being like an occupational safety hazard, it was a very happy and pure moment for a franchise that just has not had a lot of them. Uh, If you have not seen the photos, you, Steven, or anyone listening to this podcast, please seek them out. They're very, very good. Uh, I was surprised the Bears had reason to smile today. What did you think, Steven? Yeah, I have seen the photos. They're amazing. But I I feel like this is going to be the the pinnacle of their season. Because I, I don't <laughs> think that... I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't turn think that... Turn those frowns upside down. Or turn <laughs> the smiles right. upside do, down. Do, do the opposite. I'm really mixing metaphors here. But yeah, I, I, I do have to say, cool celebration. Like, I feel like if I tried to do the, the Justin Fields, the slide on my belly, it would not have gone that well. Very athletic, very coordinated. I could see why he was a first-round pick based on that slide alone. But I'm not worried about the 49ers. 
Like, I know there's going to be doom and gloom all week, and there's going to be talk about Jimmy G and whether they should play him. That was not a real football game. That that was in a swimming pool. Like, the field was so bad. It wasn't just the rain that was happening. It's the fact that the field was just collecting so much water. They the literally that, did a slip and slide. The fact that Justin Fields was able to slide as he was. Like, is like usually proof. when you do a slip and slide at a party, you have to get a tarp. They didn't have to get a tarp. They just did it on the field. <laughs> did it on the grass. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I remember the uh, 49ers playing a similar game to this. Again, uh, like a, I think it was against the Ravens in 2019 when they went to the Super Bowl. Had trouble scoring in that game, too. Didn't end up mattering. They went to the Super Bowl. They were fine. I think it's going to be the same. Like, Trey Lance, he threw that one bad interception. There were a couple bad misses. But for the most part, like, he was hitting on some deep stuff. I really think their offense will be, there's not going to be any issues. If anything, like from the plays I saw, the the shots he, he took downfield, I think that the ceiling is higher for this offense, and I'm not backing off that take after this week, even though it was a loss against a bad team. Yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly pretty ready to just say, let's wait till we see it in different conditions. It did seem early, like, I mean, I was surprised the Bears pulled this off because when the 49ers were up seven to nothing, I kind of felt like, okay, that's not that close because there was a portion of this <laughs> yeah. game early where it was like, he, he could not fields, could not drop back, could not do anything. Um, the 49ers had a lot of penalties and I don't know if he was just being salty or if he just sort of let this one slip, but Nick Bosa was like, it's 15 yards for a team that can't move the ball. That's huge. <laughs> And that sounds a little saucy when you just lost, but there was a good chunk of this game where that was very true. So I agree with you that it's not something to to draw long term conclusions from. Also, can we such a can mess. we add, can we add Debo to the list of losers after like the offseason contract talk? He was like, "Oh, I don't want to like be a running back anymore." Eight carries, well, <laughs> <laughs> get right back in there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, definitely still involved in the backfield. Um, the 49ers have uh, the Seahawks and then the Broncos and then the Rams. So within the next few weeks, I think we'll get some better, better tests for them. But for now, don't like to lose a game, but everybody else in their division, other than the Seahawks who haven't played yet, also lost. So not that big of a deal. And at least we got some very cute slip and slide photos out of it. Uh, Steven, we do not have a slip and slide here, but that does not mean... I'm not leaving this pod. Just so happy to have spent this time with you. Happy week one, bud. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. And uh, I, I we didn't talk about the Panthers. We didn't talk about Baker Mayfield. I feel like we should at least give a shout that out. That was to, a gift to you. It was a gift, but I feel like we should give a shout out to the Browns kicker. That was like the one of the greatest game winning field goal kicks ever because it like caught the neck of the Panthers. Like they all thought he had shanked it and it was like a slider that caught that inside of the plate. Great kick. Great way to give the Panthers fans just a little bit of hope just to tear our heart, hearts out again. I appreciate that. You doing okay, bud? You know, yeah. Keep pounding to me and Ben's little heart. Keep pounding. And that is what we will do every Sunday of this season. This has been the Ringer NFL show. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Steven Ruiz. Next up on the feed is tomorrow with Sheil and Ben, who will be doing a deep dive of week one. And then on Tuesday, Jason Goff and Austin Gale are up. I will be back on Wednesday with the Island. Sheil will be back on Thursday. And then Danny Heifetz, Ben, and Steven will preview week two on Friday. 
Thank you so much to Isaiah Blakely for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramgopal for additional production supervision. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.